Welcome to the Do More Podcast, where we share strategies and tips for improving your life in every aspect. Here's your host, John Farling. All right, welcome back to the show. Today we've got a special guest, Nick Paul and his wife. Apparently, her name is Mrs. Nick Paul, uh, but a lot of people like to call her Serena. Um, but have them on the stage with me today and met them, I believe three years ago at a, um, a self-storage mastermind have become close with them. And our group text is, uh, it lights up pretty, uh, pretty frequently daily, but have grown close to them. And, uh, Nick is a self-storage investor out of New Mexico and, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that. And then uh, we'll also learn what Serena's doing and who knows where this show will go. So, uh, Thanks for coming on, Nick. Why don't you uh, tell us a little about about yourself, and we'll go from there. Yeah, appreciate it, John. Appreciate you having us on, man. Been uh, loving listening to uh, to the pod and all the guests that you've had. It's always nice to uh, kind of get a different perspective on stuff, and so bring bring a lot of value to uh, to people that are out there. So I know Serena and I kind of are uh, some of your uh, regular and religious listeners. So. <laughs> whenever you put out, whenever you put out a shirt for uh, for the pod, hook us up. It's going your way. You're the first two. But yeah, no, just a background on myself. Um, born in New Mexico, grew up here, graduated high school, had to get the hell out. Went to the nearest body of water, which was California, Pacific Ocean. Uh, went to college out there and uh, graduated and got into real estate right away. You know, I had a buddy that I grew up with whose grandpa was in real estate. And so kind of got to see that from a younger age of what his life looked like. You know, I mean, at that point in time, he was probably mid to late sixties and it was like, man, this is cool. You know, he had a house in central California and had some big glass windows that looked out over the Pacific ocean. I was like, shit, this is awesome. You know, and uh, just kind of learned from him. And so graduated from college, got into real estate brokerage specifically, working with a uh, hospitality brokerage firm. So helping people buy and sell hotels, primarily in the Western United States. And uh, did that from like 2004 through 2012. Uh, So had the fun times of all the market run up that everybody experienced there in the mid 2000s and then went through the crash, which was, you know, at the time I wasn't invested in real estate personally. And so it was a great experience to be able to kind of go through that drastic of a change in a market to really see how it affected people. And so kind of got tired of the brokerage stuff, um, relying on getting paid by other people making decisions and wanted to be somebody that made the decisions. And so started looking at how do I get into investing in real estate and, at the time, uh, relocated to West Texas and bought some small multifamily apartment buildings and basically started going to work with sweat equity, you know, was doing work and hiring other guys that were kind of subcontractors to do the work. And uh, that kind of is where I got my foot in the door, if you will, and in, in trying to invest in real estate myself. Okay, I have to chime in because he always tells this story and nobody knows the backstory. And I always try to get Ian to pull it out of him. Why did you move to Midland, Nick? Did you meet a cute girl on an airplane? Uh Oh, it wasn't me. (laughs) Disclaimer, it wasn't me. (laughs) 
Always put me on the hot seat. That is correct. But that is not the main point of the story. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that the people that come into our lives, we don't know how they'll change us. So I just, that's my point to that. Sorry. He met a cute girl yeah. on an airplane and she lived in Midland. So he moved to Midland and then that kind of launched him. So I just think that's a fun point. Sorry. That actually, that actually is. Cause I was going to, I didn't know that, uh, but I was going to ask a question somewhat related. So this girl on the plane <laughs> convinced you to move to Texas. <laughs> what, what happened to where you're like, okay, I'm just going to start buying real estate. There had been something there. Obviously, you were you saw real estate investments, but something had to happen. Now you're like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think the biggest thing was is so we were coming out of the market crash, you know, 2008 to 2011, 2012. And we were working with a lot of different banks and lenders that were heavy in hospitality assets on their books. And it was just the constant, you know, banging your head against the wall to kind of help them understand from a real estate perspective that, you know, and they had their own reasons why they were holding these assets on their books. You know, I mean, there was definitely incentive for them to do that from the federal government and from different just market dynamics that were happening at that point in time. Um, but it was just frustrating, man. You know, I was putting in 60, 70, 80 hours a week of trying to work these deals through. And then you'd feel like you made some headway and then the rug would just get yanked right out from under you. And I'm like, shit, like I have nothing to show for my time, literally nothing to show for it. And it was, it was a hard change. You know, I was making crazy good money coming out of college because the market was so hot. Anybody that could fog a mirror was able to get loans, you know, and we were dealing with people that would buy a place one year for a million and a half and sell it the next for, you know, 3 million bucks. Hmm. And so it was, it was it didn't require a lot of skill on my part in terms of having a lot of history and knowledge of the hospitality industry and the inner workings of the business. You know, I was good at developing relationships. And so that it made it easy. You know, I could develop the relationship and the transaction was going to close because the buyers were there and the banks were willing to lend money. Um, but yeah, it was just the frustration of not being able to control my own destiny, if you will. You know, I was yeah. working hard and my paycheck was dependent on somebody else making the decision, hey, this is going to go through or this isn't. Yeah. That's where I was like, if I'm going to put the time in. I might as well take a risk on myself. Yeah. Control. Well, I think that's that's a common theme between most entrepreneurs at some point, whether they worked a nine to five and then realize, you know what, I want more control of my destiny and just control period. And then they, you know, become an entrepreneur or they're straight out of school and they do that. So, Serena, I know you don't you have limited time here with us today, uh, Mrs. Nick Paul. So let's uh, let's hear from you. You guys are the husband and wife team of a large uh, regional self storage portfolio. So give us give us your background. Well, I just learned like a couple of months ago that Nick had a regional portfolio. I was shocked when you guys asked him to present at one of the storage masterminds about a regional portfolio. And I asked him, you have that? Um, so apparently I'm not very knowledgeable, but I'm really supportive. Um, I grew up in New Mexico. I'm a native New Mexican. I never had the desire to live next to the water. So I've been here in the desert Southwest um, my entire life. I've been a teacher now for 12 years 
Um, and I'm blessed to be able to work from home now. Um, the goal was to support Nick more with the business. Um, and that has not really panned out that way, but um, just kind of here to be his cheerleader, motivator, sometimes his listening um, sounding board, I guess you could say, listening ear. Um, but I am definitely the shenanigan starter, I think, in the group text, I think is my official title. So, Yeah, well, you're downplaying things, I'm sure. because, And I know, too, because my wife is not involved with what I do daily with storage other than support. So how does that look from, from your side? Well, yeah, let me ask that. And then I want to back up because you got more of a story than, than just that. Well, sure. I think it's interesting from a perspective of just being the spouse. I've never been an entrepreneur, um, you know, didn't invest in real estate. I don't have that background to this day. I still don't understand what a cap rate is. Like you guys could probably explain it to me with diagrams, never going to figure it out. Um, I remember 2019, Nick drove me through a facility. We had a storage unit there. And he said, what do you think if we bought this place? So I remember driving through, we're circling the whole storage um, facility, kind of looking at things. And I thought, you want to buy this piece of junk? And when he told me the price tag, I was like, "Woo, you got to be kidding me. We're paying that for this. And if you would have told me that, you know, last week, so that was that three years later, four years later, he would come back and tell me he's now more than doubled the value of that facility. Um, I would probably have to owe him an apology that I didn't see the, the business the way that he did. And I really appreciate that Nick can see things in a way that I don't. So I'm much more... Um, I don't want to say common sense because Nick is very common sense, but I'm not the big picture person. And that is certainly Nick. And so I like the little details. I love to go to the facility. You'll see constant Instagram stories of me picking up, um, you know, just different bolts and nuts and screws off the ground. And of course, making a joke because I'm a 12 year old boy. Um, I love to pick weeds and do all the little stuff because that's where I feel like I can add value, which sounds really silly, but I'm a woman. I appreciate a clean looking facility. And Nick is the business mind behind it all. He can see the, the intricate details that I would never understand. So I kind of feel like we balance each other out in that sense. No, that's awesome. And actually, and I don't want to compare it to mine and my wife's, but my wife, I, I don't take her to the facilities anymore because she'll complain about like one weed. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I want the weed gone. But, about weed. She can yeah. show some value. Value add, Ashley. Come on, girl. Pull those weeds. Yeah, she's done that. It's just now I'm I'm done taking her because I'm tired of hearing about it because then she'll be there for three hours picking weeds. Yeah. Um. So you're also a pageant winner. So tell us a little bit about that. And also, since this is a show related to entrepreneurs and self-storage, obviously I want to talk about you, but how does that, how does that, is there strengths or something you can pull out of that with your working relationship with Nick and also personal relationship? I think so. You know, I tease Nick all the time that, you know, he starts the deal, but I'm the closer, um, which he probably gets so tired of hearing because honestly, I don't really do anything for any of the deals. But um, I think we have such a compelling story. And I know Nick has talked about this before, but we're both, you know, uh, he wasn't born, I guess he was technically born in New Mexico, lived out of uh, the state, but, um, you know, native New Mexicans for all intensive purposes. And 
we really love our state. And our idea was we want to build a business and provide for communities to other residents just like ourselves. We understand the area. We understand the market. Um, and we really want to kind of continue that hometown proud legacy, even though we're in different communities across our state, but just providing exceptional customer service. And so um, I think that being able to say, you know, I'm a former Miss New Mexico, it it sounds like it's super cool. It's really not. But I think it cements the idea to people that we do care about this area, that we really love our community. And that, um, you know, one of our most recent acquisitions, she said her dad had built this business, you know, decades before, and that it was really important to her to find somebody that she felt had the same passion as her dad. And I think Nick always says a lot of these older mom and pop investors, they see their younger selves in both Nick and I. And so it's kind of a legacy for them too, that they feel like they're trusting us with something that was significant to their family. And I think that's the most meaningful thing is that people, we build that trust and that foundation in them that we're going to continue doing exactly what their mission was and their vision when they started the business. Yep. That's a, that's a very well uh, rounded answer from a pageant winner. <laughs> oh, that's not like a pageant answer. But if if you're not picking up on that, like you made a lot of great points of the local sellers, especially the ones that that you guys are buying from. You guys are local, and you show up, and your husband and wife team, and you're not just some faceless, nameless person that sent out a bunch of postcards and hope that you can buy someone's deal, right? Like you're on the ground, you're talking to the owner. I was actually talking to someone this earlier today um, about how I have a leg up with the sellers I'm meeting because I go and meet them and they're not necessarily selling on price. Yeah, they want to get their price, but they want to meet me, get to know me. So you guys have a huge leg up in that. And obviously Nick's built, you guys have built a regional portfolio in doing that. When did you, uh, when did you guys meet? Should I let him answer and see if he gets this right? Like, is this a be a proud husband, Nick? Go ahead. I'm going to defer to you. Now, we met back in 2015. Okay. Early part of 2015. Yeah. So, mutual friend of ours had kind of put us in touch. She had been uh, asking me to help with some of the, was it, I don't know if it was local or state level, Miss New Mexico stuff and being a uh, mock judge. So, the the people (laughs) that are in these. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> There's no more swimsuit competition. Farlene, you're I know you're gonna be sad. And it wasn't it wasn't like I was judging the swimsuit stuff. It was for their interview process. So they would come in and we would interview them, you know, and kind of put some pressure on them, you know, to to ask these questions and give them a chance to know what they or how they were gonna respond before they did the real thing. Um but yeah, that's that's when we met and you know, she was uh she was a find for sure, a diamond in the rough in our community. It's tough to find somebody that's motivated, that's educated, that uh, has drive. You know, um, when I had moved back here to our hometown. After your um, plane ride. This was after, after the plane ride. This was after the plane ride, after the brief plane ride that I had. Um, I didn't think that I would stay here very long, but then I met her and it was like, all right, you know, I mean, my outlook was, is, oh man, back to the small town and just all the, you know, kind of negative connotations that I had thought about the place that made me leave after high school. They're like, Hey, I got to get out of here. Big cities where it's at. Um, 
but yeah, you know, I came around and it's like, Hey, we, we love our community. We get a, somebody had told me at one point in time, back when I was in high school, the reason that they had their kids playing here for basketball was because they wanted their kids or their sons to be big fish in a little pond. And so it's nice to be able to fill that, you know, to be able to know that we can really have some great impact, you know, not just in our community, but on our business, our businesses in this community, because we are a bigger fish in a, in a smaller pond. And, um, you know, it's, it's just cool to be able to do that, you know? Yeah. And Serena, you have about six minutes. Is that right? Yeah. And if my kids okay. don't show up, I have even longer. Aren't you so lucky? <laughs> Perfect. Not that well, kids well, well, not I, show up at the end of the semester, right? Students love school. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to, yeah, I've got a lot of questions. Um, but, um, before I dive into this one, uh, Nick, you said something about, I didn't catch it all, but you were looking for someone that was driven and whatever other traits, what, so what traits that you, again, repeat what you said that you were looking for and that you found in Serena. Um, and how's that impact your life? Yeah. You know, I mean, I wanted somebody that was like-minded number one, that kind of wasn't just, um, in it for the, you know, the day to day of, Hey, this is all I'm going to do. And life's just going to kind of, you're going to look back and be like, what did I do for the last, you know, 70, 80, 90 years of my life. And somebody that was driven, you know, I got that from her when we had met and I kind of got into her background and, you know, the, the pageant world is a lot like the sports world, it's competition. And so for somebody to be in that space and to rise up to be, you know, what I would kind of equate to a state champion, it's like, okay, there's some drive there and there's a lot of uh, work and stuff that goes into that. And so those were qualities that were just like, man, yeah, this is a woman that uh, I definitely could see myself with, you know, for the rest of my life and uh, that would make a good partner. I mean, I think that you know, when we look at the business side of things, she always downplays her involvement. And yeah, she might not be in the day-to-day -day operations and stuff like that. We both kind of removed ourselves from that aspect. But there's a lot of discussions that kind of go on that, that help me process things mm -hmm. that um, sure I could get it from you or from Ian or Terry or, you know, a bunch of other different people that are in the self-storage space. But she's immediately accessible. She knows our situation and our background and kind of where we're at at that point in time. And so it's hugely beneficial when you've got somebody that has those characteristics that you can kind of talk about those things with to help you formulate what's the correct decision for these bigger items that we're looking at. So. Yeah, well, and, and you were probably a lot more mature than I was when looking for a partner, but... Uh, my guess is a lot of those traits have probably, I don't say rubbed off, but maybe magnified you and uh, and both of you, right? And I want to uh -huh. hear, Serena, what, what you were looking for too. But I think, you know, you're looking for someone that was driven and, you know, like-minded and all those things. That's huge, right? If you don't have a partner that that can at minimum support you and, and be your cheerleader, like it's going to be tough to succeed in in anything. Um, Serena, what, what were you looking for when – before you found Nick or when you found Nick? 
man, I didn't know we were doing like marriage counseling in this episode. We're getting into it. Hey, I was looking for a strapping young lad. <laughs> a, a strapping six foot seven young lad. Um, right. But to put the pieces together, he was in Midland. He dated that girl, had the apartment building, moved back to our hometown, which is where I met Nick. Um, he was actually dating somebody else before he met me. So I'm like the second girl now in hometown that he's dating. Um, just like, I feel like we miss that connection for people. So I don't want them to be confused why you're still in Midland and I was never in Texas because I know they're all curious if I'm the Midland girl. Um, So I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't know what I was looking for when I met Nick. My friend said, I think you'd really like him. Um, You know, we have a similar faith background. We're both, um, you know, at the time older, we were in our late 20s. Well, some of us were in our late 20s, some of us were in our 30s. Um, And we were just connected. We have a lot of fun. The thing I tell people the most about Nick and I is that we laugh a lot. And we just have fun together. It could be picking weeds at the storage facility. It could be driving across the state of New Mexico. We do like a little car concert series. Um, We just have a lot of fun together. And I feel like that's the thing. I really, he really is my best friend. Um, I pretty much tell him anything, everything at the moment, which probably drives him crazy, but we just have a good time together. And I want to support what he cares about. Obviously, pageantry was my thing and he supported that. So anything he's done, I try to show support and learn a little bit about it. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, I think Nick's crying over there. We won't we won't Uh, let him answer the next question because he's choked up a little bit. (laughs) Um, I know community is huge for you guys and obviously is like full circle comes back to business too. But Serena, talk a bit, little bit about, and actually I saw Nick and I were talking before we started here uh, about your Facebook post. I told him that I read the first sentence and I clicked more and it was like this huge paragraph. I was like, Oh, that's too long. I can't read all that right now. Um, I should have put a too long. Um, didn't read segment at the bottom, but yeah, community is everything <laughs> to us. I was born and raised in this town. You know, um, I tease Nick. I give him a, I give him a lot of grief. So thank you for putting up with my shenanigans, Nick Paul. Um, you know, I love you immensely, but he, it's amazing. Nick is a chameleon in my mind. When I met Nick, he was doing real estate, single family homes, flipping them, um, a lot of the day to day with that business. Then he decided he wanted his GB98 and whatever the other GB license, commercial and residential real estate um, to be able to flip. So he's been a broker. Then he was doing um, the construction company. Then he decided he wanted to go into storage. And there's nothing in my mind. And I will say this wholeheartedly, Nick, if you want to do it, I will support you because you will crush it. You will not only crush it, but you're going to knock it out of the freaking park because that's who you are. That's how you do things. And I have so much respect for Nick's integrity and his dedication to things. If he says he's going to do it, he's not giving you 5%. He's giving you every ounce of that six foot seven heart. Um, So yeah, my post, you know, we had a little incident where we might not have our local Christmas parade and the local businesses banded together to make sure that that insurance fee could be paid um, so that we could have a local parade. But that's just who Nick is. He is on the um, center of commerce is what we call it in our town. He's the chairman of the board this year. He's been on the board of directors for several years. He's been the former um, president of our local real estate association. He's a city commissioner. Um, He just loves with his heart. I always says he has a heart of a servant. And I just think that's really a beautiful thing that he's not in it just for himself. And I think that's why people respect him so much. Yeah. Well, and I think too, uh, yeah, you said a ton of things there that I'm not going to remember everything, but a um, ton of awesome things that my guess is 
parlays into not only successful uh, business, but obviously successful marriage, like everything that you do eventually becomes successful. Um, and being involved with the community, it's a lot easier going to, even if they're not super local, but at least somewhat local. And even if they, cause I've had sellers look up my name and then they're like, Oh, you're a self storage expert. I'm out of here. Oh, uh, you're probably getting the opposite. If they look up your name, right. They're probably finding like, Oh, he's heavily involved in his community. And you know, it's easy to find that you're obviously a good person. Um, uh, Serena, you said something about him being a chameleon, which is, I find interesting. Nick, I want to hear from you. Why, one, do you think that's true? And two, if it is, do you think how has that helped you? And maybe how has it hurt you too? Yeah, I mean, to an extent, yeah, I think it's true. I think that pretty much the majority of people that are investors or entrepreneurs, you know, maybe not all, especially, you know, entrepreneurs in the real estate industry, I feel are definitely kind of that chameleon aspect. And I think that's what Serena, refer, you know, is referring to is that you're evolving and changing, you know, yeah, you could scale a single family wholesale business and that's all you do from now until whenever you get out of the game and you're done with it. But for the majority of people, they're kind of, they get in, they do that, they fix and flip houses and they start to realize that for those that really want to truly make it a business, they got to get some scale. And so, you know, for me, it was, fixing and flipping and felt like, okay, hey, if I get my GB98 contractor license, it'll allow me to kind of do the fix and flip, but then scale a construction company at the same time. Well, that didn't work out as well as I thought. You know, the construction industry is tough to find reliable um, laborers in and skilled people, especially in smaller communities. Um, so, you know, kind of went through that and was just banging my head against the wall. I was like, you know, I don't want to wake up when I'm 50 years old and still swinging a hammer or running around to 15 different houses that are trying to be flipped and juggling 90 different things that have got to happen to push those to the next level. And so I was like, all right, let's start looking at other other things and other ways to to kind of attack this, you know, real estate investment game. And so Initially, it was multifamily. You know, that's where I was like, hey, this is it. This is where it's at. I um, had known that for a while, just didn't know how I would get into it or or have the confidence that I could go and put, you know, deals together, raise money to make that happen. And by the time that I took action, you know, we're talking 20 into 2017, 2018, really started looking into it more apartments were so hot that it was just like, good luck getting your hands on something that's, you know, going to be a worthwhile deal. And so yeah. then turned over to, to storage and, you know, I mean, the rest is kind of history, but yeah, the chameleon aspect, you know, I definitely, you know, I mean, even at this point, the self storage, I definitely think is going to be kind of a, a, a base for us as far as investment stuff, but there's, you know, you get bored after a little while of kind of just doing the same thing. And so it's like, what else is out there? You know, I mean, we own property here and I've talked about let's build a, a property where we can bring a, a local to the state, you know, microbrew business to to where maybe we partner and find some way to, to get involved in that, not in the day to day side, but that we've got the land and the ability to develop it and maybe we can partner and find something to happen that way, you know? So, yeah. yeah you know. 
well, constantly and, looking to get into other stuff. So. Yeah, well, and yeah, I want to get into that too. Well, but you um you're involved with the community, right? You're gonna you're gonna come across opportunities. You put yourself out there. I'm sure the whole community knows you're an entrepreneur, like you're gonna just have more opportunities, it's just gonna happen. Um, but I think you're spot on with the chameleon. It's interesting that that Serena brought that up because I do think that's probably a common thread. And I don't think many people call it a chameleon or, or labeled as that, but it's spot on because it's like as entrepreneurs, you have to solve a problem, right? And you have to become that person or find that person that can solve the problem. And and Nick, you, you kind of alluded to it. You have to scale too. And once you scale, now you can kind of hire those those things out to where you don't have to become the chameleon. You can find the person to plug in that spot. Yep. Um, before Serena, are you, are you still good on time? I'm still good. My kids didn't show up. So but I think that what came to my mind just hearing you guys talk is neither one of you are risk adverse. Like there's so many people like myself, I'm sure most of your podcast listeners are probably very much like you guys and you are, you see a deal, you want to make it happen. You're willing to take the risk. I will teach until the day I die. I don't ever want to take a risk. And so, um, you know, I play it safe. And I think that's really cool from y'all's perspective that you're willing to jump out there and take that risk because we need people like you guys in the world. So just kind of a side note on you little risk takers. If, if we had another four or five hours, John would uh, take you to task over those uh, comments you just made and why you feel that you... Uh can't fall into the risk taker category. So no, we're going to dive into that. There you go. But I, I think, and Nick could, I'm sure kind of echoes this is their calculator risks, right? Like we're, no. we're probably at least myself. I am not a risk taker whatsoever. Like bungee jumping ain't happening. I, I, Marlon, you gotta, I saw you climb that rock wall after wags. That's that was the first seven time feet we met high. You. That was seven feet high. That was easy. Uh, yeah, I'm not like it's it's pulling my teeth out to get me on an airplane. So I would say, at least for myself, I'm not a risk taker. It's calculated risk, and it, it's really all math. What What do you think, Nick? Yeah, no, I'd agree. You know, I think that when you look from the outside in, you know, the assumption might be that oh my gosh, that's a big risk. But when you have the knowledge, when you're willing to educate yourself on whatever it is. And you have that knowledge, then you know that okay, those risks that you uh, you know might have assumed before you had achieved or gained that knowledge, they're they're not there, and so it's all based on calculated risks, hundred percent. Because I mean, at the end of the day, you know uh, we're not willing to w- willing to risk our own money, let alone other people's money, uh, reputations on something that's going to be uncalculated and just you know who knows what the the limits of the risk are. Yeah. So Serena, you said you're gonna you're gonna teach till till the day you die. I've, I'm assuming you guys probably you know you don't have to work. Um, it's probably something that you enjoy. Why is that? What what part of you I guess enjoys that, and and why do you teach? I teach. I just feel like that's the thing I'm good at. As silly as that sounds, um, I enjoy being around teenagers specifically. I taught middle school for 10 years. I'm a high school teacher now. I just really enjoy that age group. I enjoy trying to be a positive influence on them. Um, And so I just think that's like one of those things that I feel like that's my comfortable area. I don't like to leave the zone of comfortable. Um, Nick will tell you that. I mean, you guys have watched me for the last summer try to learn how to be a wake surfer. And it is the world's most hilarious comedic thing that I've ever done. 
I mean, eventually I'll, I'll keep taking small risks, but I'm not one to ever start a business or be an entrepreneur or anything like that. So I think that that's a good balance for us though, because Nick is the risk taker and I'm a little more reserved. So I always have questions and I, I, you know, you guys have met me. I ask a million things. I'm not afraid of questions. I'm always talking. So I think it works for our dynamic as a husband wife duo. And I don't think I downplay what I do for the business. My role is really to support Nick. So my friends and I joke because, you know, I have 49% of whatever. And so um, he's always going to one up me on that, but he deserves it. That's uh, really Nick's business. And my role is cheerleader, supportive wife, whatever I can do, weed picker, um, you know, whatever needs to be done in that moment. I like to do kind of the marketing side. I just random posts remind people we have the business and they rent a unit. Um, Doesn't have to be anything extreme, but my kiddos did show up. So I love you guys. Thanks for having me on the pod. yeah, we'll have to have uh, you guys both on again and dive in further. But yeah, we appreciate you having on. Appreciate you. Warn me of the questions before we dive in, so that I remember not to open my mouth and set myself up. Okay. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> you guys have fun. Say nice All things right. about me, so when I listen, they're good. Okay. We so, sure will. We'll see ya. <laughs> Bye, Farling. See ya. All right, Nick. So you said something about. Storage is boring, and, and I want. I wrote that down because I was like, I want to get into that. Um, and you talked about scale and all that. When when did it when did it become somewhat boring? Um, what does that look like? And do you think it's smart to be in that area? Yeah, maybe boring isn't maybe the best way to describe it. I think it just becomes something that you know, especially as you start getting scale and you're continuing to grow, you're plugging those people in. They can kind of run the, you know, run the business day to day. You're set in the direction. And um, it, it's just, there's not as much um, challenges, I guess, as when I had initially started investing in self-storage. And so that's kind of what gets boring. It's like, okay, well, hey, this is what we know. This has proven what's work. And obviously, as you continue to scale, you're going to run into new challenges. You're going to set new need to set new directions for how does the business grow and move forward? How do you optimize things to, to drive the greatest return to your bottom line that you can? Um, so, yeah, you know, the boringness is just more kind of, okay, well, storage is, it's complex, but it's not overtly complex. And so you might feel that you can really put some good um, policies in place that you can show to somebody else. They can implement that stuff. And it's not a ton that you have to do in the aspect of day-to-day involvement in it. And so that's yeah. kind of where I was going with the, storage is boring, you know, comment that I made is, you know, my end, and maybe it's, maybe I find it boring right now because we haven't had, you know, this year has been the first year in the last three, three and a half years that we haven't bought something, you know, we've been Mm -hmm. scrapping, trying to buy something and deals have just either fallen apart for various different reasons, or as we've kind of entered the second half of this year, it's been tougher to put things together and make the numbers work. Um, for the stuff that we've been going after. And so maybe that's where some of the boringness is coming from is that I want to continue to scale and grow. And when we're kind of just hitting some roadblocks and we don't have that, you know, I don't know, I'm sure that you kind of get that rush. And, you know, when you're finding a new deal, it's, you know, the, the 
the hunt of finding a new deal. And once you secure it, it's kind of exciting. It gives you, you know, definitely a, a boost of all kinds of different, uh, you know, adrenaline and everything else and uh, dopamine. And so it's just like, all right, you know, where's that at for the business side, for the storage side of stuff specifically. Um, and that's kind of why I, you know, probably would consider this year boring in the, in the storage world for myself. So, yeah, no, I, I, listen, I relate, like completely relate. And, you know, I think we've probably all go, gone through that. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, you're not as challenged anymore. Right. And I think, and I'm guilty of it. I'm chasing shiny object every single day. I'm, I'm looking at um, service businesses to purchase. I'm looking at vacation rentals in Florida that I want to purchase when I know deep down that I need to stay with what's gotten me here. Stick to the fundamentals, even though it is boring. Um, but it's it's the challenge. It's the hunt. It's the hunt for something new. It's the hunt for a new challenge. How do you do? You think? I know you did say that you want to keep storage as your you know your bread and butter as your base. Um, do you think that's going to scale down at all, and you get in something else, or do you think it's going to completely change, and you may just constantly keep evolving? Yeah, you know, I I don't think that I'll ever fully get out of storage. You know, I think, you know, a lot of people talk and say, Hey, they want to be diversified. When you go to a, a financial manager, they want you to be diversified across your portfolio. You know, if you're investing, you're giving them money to invest in stocks, mutual funds, they're going to spread that out over a lot of different investable sectors. And so when I look at the real estate, you know, investment world as a whole, there's a lot of ways to spread your risk across that. And so storage is a good base. I feel it's really provides us some great cash flow. And I like it for those reasons. I think there's opportunities, you know, in the short and long term to invest in other things that where real real estate can be the underlying um, investment that possibly has a business on top of it, you know, eventually would love to get into development in some way, shape or form, whether that's for storage or, you know, retail centers or whatever it is, you know, I just, I've always been uh, intrigued with the development aspect of things. And I think that if you can wait for the payout on that, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of ability to substantially increase, you know, your, your net worth. And, uh, so, yeah, you know, I think I'll continue to look at all kinds of stuff. You know, I, I don't see that changing. Storage will kind of be the bread and butter for the time being unless somebody offers us a crazy amount of money and like sell it and move on to something else. You know, I mean, if we sold everything that we had right now, I would just go and buy a larger, newer storage facility. Right. Basically boiled down to. What what do you have? Tell the uh, the listeners what what's your portfolio look like right now? So right now we've got eight different locations uh, here in New Mexico, right around 1,200 units, roughly 200,000 square feet. You know, um, and it's tough because I would love to see that number continue to grow. And we've had some good opportunities, specifically some here in our local market that when I look back, maybe I was being too aggressive on trying to negotiate with the seller that we missed out on. But I mean, there's going to be more deals, more opportunities that come up. And so try not to get hung up on those. But yeah, you know, we've got eight right now. Two of them we're actively trying to, to sell. They're kind of our 
problem children, if you will. They still make money, but they're just more of a headache. And if we could release those and free up some cash, maybe we'd be you know, lucky enough to be able to 1031 into something else. Um, but if nothing else, it would put some cash in our hands to be able to go and take advantage of where I think the market's going to kind of be turning to here, you know, in the next 12, 18, 24 months. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so you've built obviously regional portfolio. Um, I didn't realize you didn't buy anything this year. So you've done that in what, three, less than three years. Yeah. So tail end of 2019, literally, I think we closed on our first facility that we ever bought for storage right after Thanksgiving 2019. So then 2020, 2021 and 2022, we bought multiple facilities each of those years. And so, I mean, there were great years, you know, and I mean, we had contacts with people and, you know, I look back at this year too, and I don't, you know, I think a lot of it too is my time has been limited to really focus on finding those deals and pursuing things more than I had in the years gone by. I've had other roles, you know, being the chair of a couple of the chamber of commerce here, being a part of our city commission have taken on more time. And there's just been a lot of uh, change that's happened within those things that have drawn me away from, you know, spending and putting more focus on that. But, but yeah, you know, it was quick. It was right off the bat when we got into it. I think it's kind of like your story. You know, we, we got in around the same time and it was just like, bam, 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 bam. And it was like, holy shit, this is awesome. You know? Yeah. So, and those were all off market direct mail letters or how'd you find those? Yeah. All those were off market direct to seller. And you know, that's, not that there's not deals out there like that still by any means. Um, but while, while still trying to go after that, I've been obviously working and trying to build relationships with brokers more too. I think there could be some good opportunity in that space, you know, as we continue to grow and scale, what you're looking for is going to change, you know, not necessarily wanting those deep, heavy value adds as much, you know, if it makes sense. And, it's worth the time and effort then yeah. But over time, I don't want to be dealing with the stuff that's just like, man, there's a lot of opportunity there, but it's a shitload of work to get it to that point, you know? So yeah, you know, those relationships with brokers are going to pan out over the long term. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. And, and obviously you've got, I'm sure relationships with sellers that haven't sold yet too. Um, do you, not I'll be honest, I don't know New Mexico that well. I don't think it's probably as heavily populated as it is, you know, in states yep. east of the Mississippi. Um, right. have you thought about going to other states? Or are you just like, you know what, New Mexico's my buy box, that's where I'm staying? Um, or do you have a plan of maybe I've got another six months? If I don't find a deal, then I'm going to a different state. Yeah, you know, I've considered it, but at the same time, I think there's still enough opportunity here in the state into when, so when we, after we bought our first two facilities, it was kind of at that point where I was like, hey, I need to really define what does this look like for this business and the storage space that we're trying to set up. And just the number of responses that we would get from sending a mailer out from people reaching back out. It was like, holy shit, there's a lot of opportunity here in the state. And I still feel that to this day, 
New Mexico is not a sought after investment market for storage. You know, Albuquerque would be the exception. Mm. Yes, people would like the Albuquerque market, maybe Santa Fe. But outside of that, our rates are super low. You know, you've got socioeconomic environments and, and um, just numbers that really are below national averages. So what you can charge for a 10 by 10, 10 unit here in New Mexico is going to be substantially less than probably what you'll see in some of the southeastern markets or obviously, you know, coastal markets. But where I saw the value was being able to build up a sizable brand and business in this state that could either be great hold legacy kind of business that, you know, we can hold from now until whenever and maybe trade properties in and out of it. Or we have a big payday and we cash out and then we start looking at other different ways that we want to be an entrepreneur, that I want to be an entrepreneur and invest in things, you know? Um, And so trying to say that I'm open to go into different markets, it's when I run up on these tough times of not finding deals, it leads me to want to do that. But then I always circle back to that, hey, what's kind of the business plan? Let's stick with that. And, you know, if I don't have any luck for two years, then yeah, I'm going to probably start looking elsewhere. But for the time being, it's, sole focus here so we can keep growing that yep well and it's i mean we talked about it before it's tough to stick to your game plan it right. can get boring you're going to run in the challenges obviously you have you haven't found um, a deal that works for you this year like it's it's challenging to it get it gets boring you you know there's only so many deals you can look at then it's like what am i doing here yeah. um but to truly get success in the niche that you're in like you just have to keep going and like you said, when you got in, you hit deal after deal after deal after deal after deal, right? Yeah. It's going to happen again. It's going to snowball again. And I think there's, you know, it's just part of being an entrepreneur, right? Like we yeah. go through rough cycles. I think 2021, 20, I only bought one facility and it was 6,000 square feet. Right. Um, and I think that was, that was the year when a lot of people made a huge dent and started buying a lot of stuff. And I basically sat on the sidelines. Right. Um, it's just, it's part of it. Um, so I wanted to ask, and, and you can't use Serena's answer of being a chameleon. What's your, uh, what do you feel your best attribute is that's made you successful in business and in life? Uh, you know, first thing that comes to mind, honestly, is the ability to hear and receive information mm-hmm. and, and take time to process it and then make a decision. You know, and I, I don't say that, that, hey, it takes me forever to make a decision on things. But for stuff that's, you know, of more importance to things, yeah, you know, I'm going to take some time to kind of think on it and say, play out what the, the impacts are going to be, positive, negative on both ends. But, yeah, you know, I think to, to listen first and speak second is probably one of the things that's led me to have some good success. It's allowed me to be able to build relationships with people because I can ask a question and listen all day long. People love talking about themselves. And when you give them the opportunity to speak and ask questions about what they do, you know, I mean, good luck trying to get people to stop. They'll, they'll continue to go. So. Yeah. That's a good answer. You just think of that or you write that down. Use that Uh, answer before. Just just thought of it, man. (laughs) It's a good answer, man. I like that. Um, do you think 
are you a quick decision maker? Like once you get the facts in front of you, do you meddle over it or are you quick decision maker? And you're like, you know what? I'm just pulling the trigger and I'm going. I would say I'm getting better at pulling that trigger. I'm, you know, watching and kind of listening to people that have been in business and have, you know, experienced, have more experience making more decisions than what I do, you know, on a day-to-day basis with things. Um, but initially, no, man, you know, Serena could tell you if she's on here, she would freaking put me on blast right now about you overthink shit to the max. And, you know, I get it from my, it's, it's falls in line with how my dad is. And it's just like, he's constantly overanalyzing shit and, you know, I'm like, okay, so it's, it's hereditary. It's carried on down to me, but I've tried to get better about that of, hey, this is what it is. This is what I know to be true at this point in time. Let's make a decision based on that. If something else comes to light after the fact, well, it is what it is. But, yep. you know, because I think you've got to have some speed with things and you can't let stuff just kind of hang out there forever. You know, you can find yourself wasting hours, days, weeks overthinking shit and it's just not worth it at the end of the day make the decision live by it move on and what comes comes you know yep no that's good advice and yeah i didn't know that about you i i I thought you were actually the opposite way or at least somewhere in the middle um i actually saw i forget who posted i feel like it was an ed my or something like that posted um the successful the most successful entrepreneurs get 70 percent of the information and then take action um I do see a lot of people that, and I, I don't think, and maybe in your, in your mind, you, you see it that way where you are an overthinker, but I don't, right. You know, knowing you over the past few years, I don't see you as, I see you as someone that probably collects around 70% and then takes action. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I think there's, there's, there's just power in taking action, right? There's, yeah. And I think as you get older too, you can really start to differentiate between those gut instincts. You know, there's something to be said about that and that feeling that you kind of get and running with your intuition. And when you start to rely on that and really give value and, and tune in with your body and what it's telling you to do, it's like, hey, you know, you're going to majority of the time that decision is going to be right. And so that's you get the information you can and roll with what your gut tells you. So. Yep. No, that's huge. I think listening to our own intuition is probably, um, it, one, it can be confusing, right? Because we don't know if we're listening to our heart or our head or our body or whatever. But I think it's something that, yeah, it's it goes overlooked. And, and that's that's a really good point. So with that, we can probably end the show here where uh, I'm sure people have questions or want to reach out to you. Where can they find you? Man, that's a good question. You know, I I think I you was don't want last, them to find you. Yeah, I want to I want to lay in the the backwoods now. Um, you know, I'm on. I don't want to say I'm on Instagram. I've got an Instagram account. <laughs> I let my wife post everything and anything about me. Um, Storage investor Nick on Instagram. Link over to my Facebook page there too. Uh, my wife's Instagram. If you want some good content, that's just kind of run-of-the-mill mindless stuff and uh entertaining she'll uh she'll uh keep you uh entertained for sure but it's librarian serena i believe is her handle on instagram so yeah man that's cool well definitely appreciate you coming on appreciate serena coming on you guys have uh provided a ton of value today ton of content was awesome great time and uh we'll see you guys next time
Appreciate it, John. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks for following, subscribing, and listening to this episode of the Do More podcast hosted by John Farling. To learn more or ask questions, go to l4investing.com.